Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Film Focus, Episode 20, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, The Review. Ladies and gentlemen of the North, South, East, and West, and welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I'm your host, Hypersonic55, and I am glad that you decided to join me today for my review of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Now, before we get into that, I do need to address the nature of, like, you know, was it the uh, fluctuating nature of this podcast? Because when I started this podcast back in April, there was a lot more free time in my life to go about and do it on a uh, consistent basis and while we did have a few bumps in the road overall between april to july we had a fairly consistent schedule going on but after the summer with like you know the change to my job and a few other mischievous things that went on with my computer when it decided to stop working altogether things just got messy so obviously the amount of episodes that i would have liked to have done was not nearly as much as i would have liked basically so yeah um obviously i'm here in december the year's almost over and there's a chunk of films that i never got to talk about on this podcast like fantastic beasts and where to find them or um the accountant or or moana actually that i really wanted to talk about but timing wise it just it just never came it just never came but yeah rogue one just come out and i needed needed to talk about it so yeah we're 2017 on the horizon. I just want to say um, for anyone who has been following this podcast, I am sorry for the inconsistencies and hopefully 2017 will bring a little bit more organization to Film Focus and I think I might restructure the podcast next year. We'll see what happens. But yeah, just thought I'd get that bit out of the way. Anyway, Rogue One, the first Star Wars spin-off film, which technically is a prequel at the same time. I was hyped for this film for the longest time, but I am not going to lie. There was definitely a lot of trepidation going into this film just because it's the first film that's not part of the main series of Star Wars films, you know, episodes one through to seven that are currently out right now. And even though I love Gareth Edwards and what he brought to Monsters and Godzilla, even though not many people like those films, I was concerned with, like, you know, some of the stuff that went on with the reshoots and the fact that, like, you know, was it right, Tony Gilroy was brought on and there was a few, like, you know, rumours going on about it. Now, I don't listen to the rumour mill that much, but when it's out there on such a consistent basis, you you start to pay attention a little bit more. So I was concerned for that, but it was also just because... Even though it was based on, you know, a few of the lines from the opening crawl of A New Hope, where, like, you know, the rebels went about and stole the plan for the Death Star, I was still, you know, just wondering, how interesting would this story be? And would it have a satisfying start, middle, and end? So, you know, even though I really like the trailers and each subsequent trailer that came out after Star Wars Celebration... I was more and more giddy for. 
especially just with like the the way they approach like you know practical effects and the makeup and like the diverse cast including my boy Donnie Yen yes I was hyped but I was concerned but I saw the film opening night on Thursday over here in the UK and uh, I've let it marinate in my mind for like the last two days and um, while I think some of my opinions on the film have changed just a tiny bit Overall, I still think my general consensus on Rogue One uh, is the same, and it is this. The film is bloody awesome. My goodness, I mean, I knew I was going to like Rogue One, but it exceeded my expectations in so many different departments, and I left that film feeling a feeling of elation that I've not felt for quite some time. In at least this kind of way. I mean, maybe uh, Captain America's Civil War and um, probably Zootopia were probably like my two favorite films that I came out of this year, feeling like, you know, a good feeling in my soul. But Rogue One was on another level. I'm just like, whoo, whoo. Like, wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, we got a lot to talk about. And uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. It's almost impossible to talk about without going into the area spoilers, so I'm going to do something a little different with this episode. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the film in a non-spoiler format for the majority of the episode, and then right up at the end, I'm going to give you guys a cutoff point. I'll put a time code in the description of this episode. So it'll be non-spoilers up until a point, and then at the very end, we'll have a cutoff point and then talk spoilers, because believe me, there are things in this film that you have to that you 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 can't not talk about in a spoiler based fashion and just thinking about it make me giddy so anyway gonna go through story characters presentation overall thoughts and then spoilers at the end okay alrighty let's go so let's start with that story shall we the story can be summed up as the following so the film focuses around Jin Erso a rebel soldier and criminal and she happens to go on a life-changing journey with her rebel allies to find her father and obtain the schematics for the Galactic Empire's super weapon, the Death Star. And yeah, that's the best way to describe that film without going into the era spoilers. I was really impressed with the plot of Rogue One. And even though as a Star Wars fan, I ultimately knew how this tale would play out. That didn't make the film any less enjoyable. I was also surprised by the tone of this film. This film definitely feels a lot more darker and more mature and it's not as kid slash family friendly and possibly as accessible as the other main series Star Wars films that's come before it. This film not only feels like it caters towards like Star Wars fans specifically but also just towards like older audiences in general. This film tells a tale of hope and bravery in times of darkness and uncertainty. And while the story has enough elements to coexist in the main series, it presents a lot of elements that we haven't seen in a Star Wars film to date. One of the things I noted from watching the film early on was just how different it felt from the previous Star Wars films in terms of its direction, atmosphere and tone. Those key elements made the film feel very unique and at several points the film just felt a lot more dramatic realistic and grittier than we've seen in just like previous star wars films and to a degree it got fairly emotional at several key points in the film that again i just wasn't expecting 
And this film definitely adheres to the war type style that it was said to be when this film was first announced a few years ago. I watched and read several interviews with the director, certain cast members and, you know, some other online critics who got to see bits and bobs of this film before it got released that it was heavy on the war genre element and even though I haven't seen that many war films myself any person who has watched war films can definitely see the inspiration that Rogue One has taken and implemented into its film this film just felt so much more I don't know adult and dirty and gritty and it just happened to capture perfectly that sense of dread danger overwhelming odds just the general tone and sense of loss was handled so well and then there's the continuity with the other star wars films what rogue one does very very well is it tells a very self-contained story which works on its own but also has enough incorporated elements from the other star wars films to you know tie it together in a very effective manner and um, the way in which some of these like you know story slash character moments are weaved into the story are pretty effective um, I've heard talk online that some of the uh, ties to the Star Wars canon whether it be like you know film or otherwise um, were unnecessary or just felt like you know fan service for fans rather than being necessary and to a degree, I can understand some of those elements, but at the same time, I feel like some of the winks and nods or general tie-ins were fairly effective. I'd say the only issues I had with the story overall was that at the beginning, Rogue One happened to have a sort of similar issue that I found with Warcraft, where we happened to be moving from place to place, establishing a lot of information in a short amount of time, and if the film found a way just to streamline all the hopping from spot to spot kind of thing it would have saved me a little bit of confusion at the beginning and I would say that the early half of the film I'd say the first 20 or so minutes I was wondering like you know was it, it when when the film would hook me because I enjoyed some of the stuff in the beginning some of it felt a little slow but then once the film did get going and it does get going. Good gravy, man. Damn. So good. And um, I'm just going to say this right now. Like, uh, loads of people talking about the third act of this film. And I will chime in on that as well. The third act of this film is one of the best I think I've ever seen in recent film history for myself. Um, I've only been, like, you know, going to the cinema as an avid fan of film for about eight years now. But this might be the most satisfying third act I've ever seen in a long time. Just, this film goes from 0 to 100, and then 200, and then 500. And by the end, you're on 1,000, you're just like, whoa, whoa. It's damn good. Um, <laughs> uh, I can't talk about it right now, but, you know, again, when, when we get to spoilers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, the overall story for Star Wars Rogue One was very impressive, very dramatic, very emotional, surprising, and quite funny, actually, in certain elements. Again, not as, like, uh, approachable 
if you're not a Star Wars fan, and I would say less accessible than the main series Star Wars films, just because of the type of story that they're telling and the genre that they're like, you know, trying to capture. Alright, so now we're going to move on to characters, and the annoying thing is that as much as I really liked the characters in this film, the problem was that I don't know that many of their names, mainly just because they're either not mentioned enough or they're very hard to pronounce. And I've heard online that there wasn't that much character development given to like a lot of the cast in this film. And to a degree, I can definitely understand that, whereas in other previous Star Wars films, it's easy to attach yourself to some of these characters because they have very specific character arcs. And in this film, there are definitely like, you know, was it a top tier of set people? And then like, you know, just below that, you have sort of everybody else. But... What I will say is I really enjoyed the cast of Rogue One, even though there wasn't that much character development for them. I did feel attached to a great deal of them. So by the end, um, I definitely like, you know, was it was able to find my standouts, but I also felt like, you know, all of them served their purpose fairly well. So the acting was solid. So let's start with... Felicity Jones as Jin Erso. Now, obviously, there was a lot of talk online about Felicity Jones' acting skills because of some of the line that she delivered in some of the uh, trailers beforehand. And funnily enough, some of that footage isn't even in the movie. <laughs> um, but I thought Felicity Jones was great. She was a very strong main character. I liked the fact that she was courageous but was also fairly relatable. She'd gone through a lot of drama and trials and tribulations that she'd gone through in her life but it's interesting to see where her character starts out and then how she grows and then becomes part of this like you know rebel movement to go about and um, find her father and like you know is it get these plans for the Death Star. I just enjoyed her character. I liked the physicality of her. She just came across as a capable female protagonist and I think I might like her a little bit more than Rey just because Rey was fun and she was interesting but I just felt like Jyn Erso was just like a little bit more of a better fleshed out character mainly just because I knew a little bit more about her past her ties to her father was interesting and some of the like interactions that she had with some of these other characters was just a little bit more engaging for me but anyway Felicity Jones very good I really liked her um, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor was another person I ended up liking more than I expected because the thing is at first he doesn't seem to come across as a very nice guy and uh, some of his uh, personality traits and um, habits are questionable but as the film goes on you start to learn a bit more about him and why he does certain things that he does and learn that this guy is a little bit there's a lot more to him than that meets the eye, you know, and I thought, like, uh, Luna did a really good job in the role, um, and let's talk about, uh, Alan Tudyk as K2SO, this was the most notable character I heard coming out of those early, you know, impressions of Rogue One, when everybody went to that premiere, like, you know, was it a few days ago, I was expecting to love this character, because I love Alan Tudyk in almost everything, and he was good. He was really good as K2SO. K2SO was just this really sarcastic, rude, like, douchebag of a uh, robot. But 
that's why you like him. He's very blunt. Um, like I said before, he's sarcastic, and he just has so many wonderful lines and interactions with uh, Jin and like you know was the uh, Cassian and some of the other crew members. And sometimes he's just delightful. But I thought I would like him a lot more. Um, from the way in which some of these critics were going on about him, he was like the most amazing thing since sliced bread, and I don't think he was that great. There were some other characters that I actually liked more than K2SO, but I thought that his character design was really cool. I loved Alan Tunick's voice. He seemed to give the character a little bit more of a human factor than some of these other robots that we've seen in the Star Wars universe before. So I would say in terms of like, you know, my favorite droids in the series, he's right up there with um, R2 and BB-8. Um, and possibly that weird little droid who kept getting his feet burnt in, like, you know, as <laughs> Return of the Jedi. I love that guy. <laughs> anyway, um, moving on. Uh, then there was Riz Ahmed as, uh, Bodhi Rook. Is that how you say his name? Bodhi? Bodhi? I, I can't say this guy's name for the life of me, but I thought it was pretty interesting also. Um, learning about his character's, uh, history and how it ties into the film, um, was pretty interesting. I liked that. And his acting was pretty solid. The overall character just felt a little meh to me. But for what he did in the film and, like, you know, how it plays out in the story, I really liked it. And, again, uh, Riz Ahmed, his acting was pretty solid. But then you have the two characters that I think was, like, you know, my two personal favorites. Donnie Yen and Wang Jiang. Is that how you say his name? Wang Jiang? As, uh, oh, God. Shura... Imu and Baz Malbus. Man, you can tell I'm a real fan. I I know my bloody character, like, you know, is it pronunciations? Good gravy. But anyway, Donnie Yen and Wen Jiang's characters, uh, these two happen to work really well together, both as individuals and as, like, a pair because of their personality traits and combat capabilities. Donnie Yen's character is a very spiritual man you can tell that he is in sync with the force and he believes very much in the force and that it has a tie to not only himself but to everyone around and it allows him even though that he's a blind character to see things that other characters cannot he has this certain level of i don't know spiritual wisdom and positivity about him that just made him such a really engaging and fascinating character and Baz Malbus his partner he's more of a straight talking mercenary who doesn't really care much for the force he's more of a I'll do what I do based on my own decisions kind of guy at least I think that's the best way to present that and um, these two just come as a very interesting pairing and I just like not only their interactions with the rest of the cast but just how they go on this little journey and have their, like, you know, sort of standout moments. Um, but out of the two of them, I just love Donnie Yen because Donnie Yen has been my boy for years. And it always annoys me that not many people or not enough people know about how brilliant this man is. I just love the fact that, like, you know, we just got to see Donnie Yen in a mainstream film, like, you know, act, but also kick serious ass in just the only way that Donnie Yen can. You also have Mads Mikkelsen as Galen Erso. He what well, he played Jin's father, who was one of the uh, key people that worked on the Death Star, and um, I really liked his character. 
from his backstory to how it sort of continued throughout the rest of the film. It was very interesting, very solid material. And I I just love Matt Mickelson. The dude has been my boy since I saw him in, like, you know, Casino Royale. And I've never seen him in anything where he personally sucked. He brought just a certain level of uh, oomph and gravitas and, like, you know, magnetism to his role. And I just really liked him. So, yeah, Matt Mickelson, I really liked him in this film. And finally, you have... Ben Mendelsohn as Orson Krennic. Um, he is basically the main sort of imperial bad guy in this film, and I really enjoyed this character. Um, he just plays your standard type of villain who's, you know, very evil, very strong-willed, cunning. And while you've seen this kind of villain before, Mendelsohn played him with such tenacity and intensity and he was so good. I really liked him. I liked him more than I thought I would. I mean, I've seen I've seen Ben Mendelsohn like here and there in certain films and TV shows before, but um, this film definitely allowed me to appreciate him a lot more in a more notable role. There's only one other person that I haven't actually mentioned right now, and that was um, Forrest Whitaker as Saul Guerrero. Now there was a lot of like you know talk amongst the you know Star Wars community that they were bringing in the character from the Clone Wars TV series into this film. And I was like, ooh, this is the first sort of, like, proper connective tissue from, like, you know, say, a different type of, like, you know, Star Wars media, be the animated series, to cross into live action. And Forrest Whitaker was good, but his character and performance just felt a little strange. It was unexpected, and I expected a little bit more from his character. And just in terms of other characters, obviously Darth Vader is in the film, and I just want to let people know right now, Darth Vader is not in the film a great deal, but his use in the film is gorgeous. More on that later. And there are just some other cameos and like uh, uses of other certain Star Wars characters that you'll see, which are fairly surprising, to say the least. Some of it's used in an effective manner, some of it is depending on what kind of Star Wars fan you are, will be a little divisive on whether you like it or whether you don't like it. But it's handled well, in my opinion. And now we're going to move on to what might be arguably the best element of Rogue One, and that is the presentation. Visually, this film might be the best in the franchise so far. The use of color, art direction, along with the cinematography and the use of practical and digital visual effects was on godlike levels, in my opinion. What this film does really, really, really well is captures the look and feel of the 1977 Star Wars A New Hope in such an impressive manner. It's almost spot on just with today's technology. But they found ways to incorporate all these sort of newer elements like different ship designs, the Death Troopers, and those other kind of like, you know, was it uh, camouflage looking troopers that are down on that uh, beach based planet, which I can't remember the name of right now. Um, they found ways just to incorporate all these sort of newer elements in there, which makes this film feel unique and different, but at the same time just feel like it belongs within that sort of old school period of Star Wars films. I really like the practical effects in this film. The way in which they handle all the stunt work from, you know, all the gunfights to hand-to-hand -to -hand combat, which was well choreographed by the way, 
and you know some of the firefights explosions and you know destruction of certain locations whether you are out in the city or out on these beaches or deserts all these locations that they filmed in look really well done and some of the set design is really good and those aliens the variety of the aliens whether they were short tall you know kind of thin or like kind of fat you know the ones that are more humanoid or more monster looking the level of detail and intricacy in some of their fur and skin and colors is so inventive and then you also just have the general cinematography which was just gorgeous so good i love the way in which they filmed all of the action sequences and just the overall way the film was just shot in general was really good but i think it goes to you know the highest degree when it comes to some of these action sequences with the um aerial combat which is just oh the aerial slash space dogfights are some of the best in the series because they are so intense well choreographed so dirty and crunchy and the sound design is awesome the way in which it's filmed is awesome and this is just the most detailed space battles that we've had in the series since um probably revenge of the sith in terms of like cgi but to see all these fight sequences happen in this kind of way is just so much more realistic and dangerous than anything we've seen in star wars before and it's so good as for the film score by michael giacchino um, actually, no, it's Michael Giacchino. I need to say his name properly. I thought his soundtrack was pretty good. While I am still curious to see what Andre Desplat would have brought to this film uh, if he was still originally, like, you know, the composer that came on, um, I still feel like Giacchino's score for Rogue One had an epic, whimsical, and heartbreaking sound, which was also full of wonder and captured the spirit of John Williams's sound while also creating something new at the same time. I was surprised that there was not as much of a use of some of these like, you know, original themes that John Williams like, you know, composed given the fact that it's so close to A New Hope in terms of the timeline, and I would have liked a little bit more of some of those themes. And some of the music did feel a little off especially towards the beginning, but once the film, you know, again, kicks up between like you know act two to act three i feel like some of the music just really works towards the end and it's just firing on all cylinders all right then so now that just comes to the conclusion rogue one a star wars story should you see it if i was talking to you on thursday night when i saw the film i would have said hell yes go watch it you'll probably enjoy it um especially if you're a star wars fan but now I'm thinking about it, it feels like if I say yes, I will say yes with like, you know, a, uh, you know, a little asterisk there. I would say Star Wars fans will get the most out of this film, whereas casual fans will miss out on certain details. Some of which are actually sort of intricate to the overall, like, you know, was it story. But I would say if you're a Star Wars fan, it's mandatory watching. If you're a casual fan, it depends on whether you're interested in Star Wars or not. If you've never been a big Star Wars fan, then this might not grab you. However, if you've never been a fan of Star Wars because of its family-friendly approach, I would say give Rogue One a try. It's definitely the most, I guess, mature of the Star Wars films, and I think the film definitely benefits from that. Um, Rogue One is definitely not as openly accessible to you know 
people of all ages you definitely have to be a little bit more you know well versed in the star wars lore in order to like you know fully appreciate everything that happens in this film but for me rogue one was a revelation it was far better than i ever could have hoped for and besides like you know some minor issues with like you know the use of uh cgi and pacing issues towards the beginning and uh some like you know slightly weaker characters here and there the film was just a good time all the pros outweigh the cons by like ten thousand. and at this point in 2016 where the year is almost over i did not expect to enjoy anything nearly as much as i had considering everything that's come beforehand but rogue one a star wars story is definitely in my top five of the year um it was beautiful funny emotional action-packed surprising and just downright fun I recommend the film, and if you had the power to see it in IMAX, do it. So yeah, that's been my review, the spoiler-free version. Now, if you want to hear the spoilers, listen on. But for those who don't want to know anything more about the film, this is the cutoff point. So I'm going to be disappearing right about now. So if you don't want to hear any more, that's a review over. If I was to give it a score, um, I don't do that anymore. But yeah, I think it's a good movie, so there you go. Okay, so are you still here? Yes? You want to hear some spoilers? Yeah? Good, because I'm going to spoil the heck out of this film because that's the annoying thing about seeing films early is that you can't talk about the film unless you're talking about it with someone that's seen it. And normally I tend to see films fairly early on so I can't talk to any of my friends about it because they don't normally watch the film for at least another week or two. But... There are so many things about Rogue One that I wanted to shout out to the world about, but I just couldn't say it on the night because obviously I'm not a I'm not a rude person that runs out shouting spoilers at the top of his lungs because that's just rude. Anyway, spoiler-based elements of the film. Um, where to start? Um, Vader. <laughs> it had to be done. Darth Vader. His use in this film was very impressive. His initial introduction with uh, his conversation with Orson Krennic was pretty impressive. It was just nice to see Darth Vader back on screen, being introduced in a very badass fashion, talking and just being a general intimidating badass and choking out like, you know, was it Krennic with his force powers? That was cool. And I did fear for a little while that that was going to be his only, like, you know, contribution to the film. Just a conversation and that was it. I held out hope, but I did not expect that he would show up again just towards the, like, you know, final moments of the third act. And, oh my god! Whoa! The dude was... He turned into a vision of a nightmare. He came and took out those soldiers left, right, and center, force using, throwing dudes on the ceiling, swinging that lightsaber around. When he ignited that red lightsaber, I just lost my mind. It was one of the most beautiful sequences of death and carnage I've ever seen in my life. And oh, just fanboying it. I'm fanboying right now, but. Darth Vader to me has always been at his best when he is just this dark force of nature that no one can stop. And in recent times, yes, we've had rebels to illustrate how cool and how badass he is. But I don't think that animation can ever be a substitute 
for the real thing in live action, especially with Darth Vader. Darth Vader is at his best when he's in live action. And good gravy, they did it. They brought him back. And while the scene is short, it brings back the intimidation factor that a lot of people found with Darth Vader and Empire Strikes Back. And this is just, you know, that Sith dark side power. He came in and owned everybody. And, oh, <laughs> oh man, it was the most beautiful sequence of my life. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Vader. Perfection in motion there. Um, going back to the visual effects, I thought that their use was fairly impressive in the film for all different planets and like worlds they were able to create. And obviously, during some of the action sequences, um, it was all well put together. One of the things I did not expect them to do was Grand Moff Tarkin. Peter Cushion, mate. They brought the dude back from the dead. It was insane. I was like, okay, I assume that his character might show up, maybe like, you know, depicted by a younger actor or something. But no, just like with Ant-Man and just like with Captain America's Civil War, they implemented the same sort of digital technology to recreate a character that no longer exists now like you know okay so the technique is slightly different well the circumstances are slightly different in this case because like unlike uh jeff bridges in tron legacy or michael douglas in ant-man or robert downey jr in captain america civil war all of these characters were already alive and they were basically just being de-aged. But with Grand Moff Tarkin, we all know that Peter Cushion is no longer with us. And for them to somehow have the digital powers to recreate the man was just insane to me. I was watching it and I'm like, oh my god, they have did it. They've digitally created a character and put him in a film. It was just, for the first few minutes, it was just completely jarring and just... I was just in disbelief. Um, you sort of get used to it over the course of the film, but at the same time, it's just that whenever you see him on screen, they the CGI, while it was really well handled at the same time, you can still tell it was CG. It was very impressive. It was really good. And I applaud, like, you know, Gareth Edwards and everybody who worked in that film for, you know, having the bravery to include him in that film. But you can still see that the CGI still hasn't reached that level where you can recreate a human being and have it look completely natural. There's still, like, you know, that sort of shiny glossiness um, about them where you're just like, I know this person isn't real. And the same can be said for Leia. Now, I thought towards the end of the film when they were tying things up and bringing it right towards the introduction of uh, A New Hope, that we might see, like, you know, Leia, like, you know, maybe in an off-screen cameo. Well, no, not off-screen cameo, but, like, you know, maybe hooded, but oh my god, they turned her around, I was like, oh my god, they did a young Carrie Fisher, what, 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 it was madness, and I was just like, well, that was surprising also, it was a nice surprise in my opinion, but at the same time, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, ah, again, they've de-aged like, you know, was it um, Carrie Fisher, and they made her look good, but at the same time, I'm just looking at the way in which her mouth moved, and it's still just like, I could still tell that CG. Um, it's not as effective as some of the other de-aging 
that we've seen in like some other films. Again, I go to Ant-Man, which for me was still my favorite use of that um, de-aging, like, you know, CGI technique. Michael Douglas in um, Ant-Man looks so good. It was insane the, how much, how solid that looked. Um, Robert Downey Jr. in like Civil War was good, but that was, I think, a little too young because you could just tell that that still looked like, you know, fairly CG. But considering the scene it was used in, I could I could accept it. So, yeah, you can see that this de-aging process has definitely come a long way since it really started, like, you know, becoming you know notable in mainstream film with, like, you know, Tron Legacy and Jeff Bridges. But we still haven't reached that level yet where it looks super convincing. And I can imagine on a bigger screen, it would just look a little bit more, like, you know, jarring and glaring. So, yeah, the de-aging of Leia and Tarkin was very unexpected. Interesting and ambitious, but unexpected for sure. Also for me, seeing Jimmy Smith as uh, Bell Organa again was nice. Um, he was one of my favorite characters, especially in like uh, episode three. Favorite minor characters. So to see him back, you know, just in his minor introduction and then to have that conversation with like, you know, um, Mon Mothma about like Obi-Wan. That was pretty interesting. It was just like, again, another small, like, you know, minor, like, you know, piece of connected tissue to the general like you know world of star wars and it was nice it was nice um i can see some fans not liking that but i thought it was a nice like little cameo and speaking of cameos i remember thinking um i can't remember what uh, online video i was watching but they uh, there was always talk about how r2d2 and c3po show up in every star wars film so i was just thinking maybe in towards the uh, third act, i'm like where are these guys they normally show up in every Star Wars film, and considering the timeline, they definitely have to be here somewhere, right? And then, there they were, for a very brief few seconds, C-3PO and R2 right there, and just, like, hanging around, and I was just like, ah, there they are, look at those guys, yeah. Um, it wasn't a detraction for me, I actually found it quite nice, I'm like, yeah. Uh, trying to think, anything else that needs mentioning? Oh, death! That's the one other thing that I wanted to talk about. In the third act, when everybody is literally in this war, this film definitely starts to depict the sort of, you know, darker side of the um, war between, like, you know, the Rebel Alliance and the uh, Galactic Empire with how many people just die. Left, right, and center. You know, you see all these stormtroopers getting killed, but rebel soldiers getting killed. Some of these people that you get brief moments with, some of these people that you start to, like, you know, either get slightly attached to, whether they are, like, you know, minor characters or, like, you know, part of the main rebel cast, they all start dying. And I was surprised. I mean, yes, I knew that all these characters would die, but I was surprised at which, like, you know, was it, uh, the all-powerful people at Disney and LucasArts allowed for these characters to die in such a notable on-screen manner, with several of these people either getting shot, blown up, or, like, you know, was it set ablaze? It's just like, good gravy, man. People died in a very warlike fashion, and for me, that was one of the strongest elements of the film, that they committed to the war element of this film, and just like we know in Star Wars canon, none of these characters show up in, you know, episode four, five, and six. So we know that they're gone and they all died in quite, I wouldn't say horrific manners, but like, you know, it was fairly brutal. I mean, K2SO, he gets shot up by stormtroopers. And I'm like, dude, man, I like you. Um, 
bloody uh, Riz Ahmed's character, he gets blown up in the ship, and I'm like, good gravy! Um, and then, like, obviously you have Jin Erso and um, Cassian Andor just on that beach together, and I, I did fear for a little while that they might kiss just because of the way in which they were looking at each other, and I'm like, don't give me that, don't do that. But they didn't. They were just there, and they just had, like, um, they knew that death was upon them, and they were just there at the beach waiting for that explosion as the Death Star, like, you know, basically shot up that planet. And then you're just waiting for the uh, impact of the explosion to take them out. That was a gorgeous, beautiful moment. And I really started to get emotional. I'm just like, if the end was coming like that, what would you do? I guess you would just hold whoever you were with and just, like, take it and then, like, just go, go. The end is nigh. Thank you for being there with me embrace death and I'm just like god it was heartbreaking but I still think my most heartbreaking death for me was the loss of uh, Donnie Yen and like you know when Jang's character um Donnie Yen being the badass that he is goes over to that like uh control panel I think he uh moves that like you know one like leather or leather like you know is it how do you say that thing leather yeah he just operates that machine table, and then he gets shot, and I'm like, no, my boy, Dirty yeah, no, and it was a heartbreaking death, but then what hurt even more was the fact that, like, you know, is it, um, Baz is all like, oh, yeah, he, so he takes on, like, you know, was it, Donnie Yen's character's uh, feelings about the Force and sort of uses it to empower himself and take out all these different stormtroopers left, right, and center, but just like uh, Boromir in uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, the dude starts to get taken out. Slowly but surely, he starts to get slowed down and he fights right up until the end. And then there's that bomb and it's just like, damn, the dude's immobile, he can't move, the bomb's coming, it's just like the grenade, boom, done. I'm like, you too, man, you guys are my boys. And it hurt to see them die so much, it, it really hurt me. And while again, at the beginning, the fact that there was uh, a lot of hopping between different planets to find out who our main cast of people was going to be in terms of like the rebels and all that. I found that a little, again, not disorienting, but just uh, troublesome. And I felt like there must have been a way to streamline that. And some people online have have said that if there was a open and cruel, that would have fixed a lot of the issues with like... Uh, where the story was at the beginning and like all this planet hopping that we'd have to do and for me the lack of an open crawl was not so much of an issue it was just like okay in a galaxy far far away and it's just like oh well then we're in I'm like oh okay i was over it but the inclusion of where rogue won the actual title showed up that was bizarre i was just like oh it, so it's like a cold open in a tv show like when i'm watching um i don't know uh Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, like, uh, some other random TV show. <laughs> I don't know why Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was the first one that came up, but that's, that's what I got. Um, but, yeah, the the inclusion of Rogue One, the, the title was just really random in its placement. And the title card, I've heard a lot of people say that it looked like crap. Nah, whatever, I, I wasn't overly fussed about it. Again, the use of an opening crawl would have been able to inc would have been able to help uh, solidify some of the information and you know sort out some of the other stuff. But but yeah, that is it for the spoiler portion of this review. If you're still here, thank you. 
Um, yeah, Rogue One was a lot of fun. And I just had to talk about some of those spoiler-based elements. So, where can you find me online? You can find me personally at Hypersonic55 on Twitter or at FilmFocus55. At least I think that's what my name is on there. Film Focus is also on SoundCloud and iTunes, so be sure to go back and uh, follow me there. Subscribe, like, and drop me some comments because I welcome the feedback. Any form of feedback would be delightful. And uh, yeah, anything you have to say about this, just comment below or comment on iTunes. Anyway, this is the Hyperson 55 on his way out. So until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, take care and I'll see you on the next episode.